so farmers descend on Germany as climate policies across Europe ramp up. We got the net zero agenda in the UK and many countries across the world, mainly Europe. And today, ladies and gentlemen, we are joined by some would say a climate skeptic, some would say a controversial guy, some would say a genius, but we're joined by Ben Pyle. <laughs> Do you want to give a little introduction to anyone who doesn't know you, who you are and what you're about? That, that's very generous of you, and that's probably the first time for quite a while anyone has been that generous. I've been writing about climate change for 15 or 20 years, um, for quite a long time. I started out something of a, a green and something of a leftoid, um, maybe even a proto-Greta, um, if we want to go back all the way. But, uh, but I, I sort of thought in my tw had a sort of change of mind in my 20s um that then and um and thought there was something really wrong with the green agenda there was something wrong with environmentalism and i'm quite specific about what i mean by environmentalism and maybe we'll come on to that um but climate change is of course at the center of uh the current formulation of environmentalism um and and i don't think it was it's going to be very good for the people of the world i don't think it's going to be very good for the poor people in the world um uh, it's going to stop their development and i don't think it's going to be very good for us in the seemingly the developed world um i i, I think you know it's quite regressive so it may take us back uh decades or, or centuries um or, or more likely it will cause some kind of political and social upheaval um as as the, the green agenda goes on anyway so i i started writing blogging um in the in the late 2000s um and uh getting more involved with political research and sort of trying to formulate these ideas more more carefully um and then writing for spiked online that was a, a exciting time on on the subject and um uh, and then sort of more more gradually setting up on my own, <clears throat> moving away from just the blogging and the writing, been producing or trying to produce uh, much more videos um, and live streams and, and things of that kind. And then um, the last year we've, I've teamed up with a few other people and we've set up Climate Debate UK, which is an organization that intends to bring debate back to the center of uh, the, the public discussion um, rather than this sort of expectation of obedience. So we, you know, it's um, it's very parallel to together really. So it was nice to, te it's, it's been nice to team up with together because um, uh, really what's missing from climate politics is is democracy. And I think really it's an attempt to sub, uh, you know, prevent democracy. There's a really um, anti-democratic tendency to environmentalism um the greens may protest otherwise um and uh so you know that and that that makes itself most felt um when people use the word denier you're not allowed to disagree with the sort of claims that environmentalists make you know they and whatever you say it doesn't really matter what what your argument is um, you maybe you've got some technical you know, a problem with the technical or economic aspect of wind farms. The the impulse that many greens have is simply to say you're denying climate change or or, or denying global warming, um, and therefore that you should not be able to take part in debate. You maybe should not be able to um, 
make political uh you know may, may not be free to um stand in elections or or be you know how continue your employment in some cases um you know people have been people have been thrown out of off campuses for uh climate change denial so called climate change denial and and people have been thrown off um the airwaves for or you know more more precisely not not allowed to take part in um broadcast media because they have the wrong kind of views on climate change um so that has led to a uh you know very uh that's sort of um when you, once you take debate out of public life um especially in a really important policy area um there's there, there's no telling where that ideology is then going to take you and and there are some quite crazy ideas um that come out of the green movement um really really bizarre ideas about how the world works about how the natural world works and how human society works and how human human uh society relates to uh the natural world um or doesn't and and how it must you know this is this is what the you know it's always about compulsion with the greens and and um these things really need to be understood properly rather than sort of left i i think well, the, the the expression would be would be um climate change is far too important to leave to scientists you know it, 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 if everyone everyone's got to come with you know the, everyone's got everyone's got to uh, take part in that discussion um if and if if it's necessary to regulate industry and if it's necessary to make these economic changes to people's lives then then everyone needs to take part in that or needs to be free to take part in that um so you see where I'm going I think with that um I don't think climate change is a crisis I don't think climate change is an emergency um and I think these things are invented in order to um get us to shut up and to legitimize the otherwise undue authority that people presume um over others um and so by putting debate back at the center of uh of 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 climate politics we may be able to address those things interesting so it's been a long journey of discovery changing your opinions um what so like it's i mean so you were someone who was kind of a green fanatic if you want to call it that a greta fanboy <laughs> i don't know um well, what... 20 years ahead of her being born perhaps yeah, wow. yeah. but um yeah. <laughs> but premeditated it yeah um what what like was the kind of catalyst for you to change your opinions with that because a lot of people would say right now you know let's say the average I don't know, the average middle class person, whatever, would say clearly we are in a climate crisis, wildfires, um, sea level rise, whatever it is, global warming increase, watch temperature and record. Like they would say, look at that, that we're in a crisis right now. To those people who say that, what's your response? And also, chucking two questions in one, what was the catalyst for you radically changing your opinion? And was it a single day or was it like moments, evidence? Like what was that yeah well to the first point to what what do i say to people it's called a litany isn't it it's a litany of catastrophes that the people say and as you say um wildfires and and sea level rise and um storms 
Um, I, I would say that they're impatient, and that and that's that's been the problem. Um, there are there is no evidence, certainly, of um, wildfires increasing. The satellite data shows it quite clearly that uh, the area, the global burned area from wildfires, has been on some pretty pretty significant downward trend over the last few decades. That may that may be because of global warming. Um, but certainly, global uh, a wildfire is not is is is, is certainly not uh, an urgent problem. It's becoming less of a problem, as indeed many other problems are. So you know, if you if you look at the effect of natural disasters on human society over the last century, they've fallen miraculously. They're, you know, so so you're something like one percent um, as vulnerable to extreme weather as a person on planet Earth in 2023 uh, compared to uh, a person on planet Earth in 1923. So, you know, 100 times many more people were killed by extreme weather events a century ago. That's a pretty radical improvement in in, um, people's circumstances. Uh, Sea level rise is always a more challenging question, right? Uh, Because Unfortunately for everyone, but also unfortunately for Greens, sea level rise has been a fact for for quite some time, quite many hundreds of many thousands of years. Um, there's been this very slow incremental um, rise of sea levels, about 1.5 millimeters a year for for most of that duration, um, and and that's something we're going to have to work out how to deal with in a very long time at that rate. You know, it's. The sea is actually about seventy feet that way, okay. And I'm not I'm not running away from it anytime soon. Um, it's gonna it, it, it it's and it, it sounds like a drastic problem. And and someone might say, well, if it's going to happen in the future, we might as well deal with it now. But the reality is, um, many parts of the world, which is very densely populated, and Holland, uh, the Netherlands is 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 the best example. Um, there are many, many parts of those those countries are below sea level already, and they and and yet they manage extremely productive agriculture, um, really important part of the economy in in the Netherlands, um, and and that can that can be reproduced elsewhere. That could, that's that's the future of Bangladesh, which is also quite a low lying area. Um, they're reclaiming more and more land as 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 um, as they get wealthier. Um, they're pro- better protecting themselves from inundation from the sea, um, and and we can do the same here. In fact, the last time the last time I looked, it was a while ago now. The the annual global budget for protecting ourselves from sea level rise, um, even given relatively extreme scenarios from. Uh, of, of climate change is about equivalent to the global market for video games right, so it's not it's not going to seriously impact global gdp or any any country's gdp so there's there's ways to deal with that um and and you know over the time and, and so more in, in in more general terms um if you if you if you take seriously the argument that there's going to be an increase in the frequency or intensity of storms or of droughts and so on and so forth um e- even if you're talking about a multiplication of those you know like two ten times whatever they were in the past you're going to have to wait a really 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 long time according to the science i mean centuries to thousands of years 
Like there, there is no, <clears throat> there is no emergency, dangerous mechanism that the climate is capable of inflicting on us. Right. So all these stories about suddenly the whole of society being unable to produce food or being ripped apart, ripped from its foundations by violent chaotic storms is 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 not just implausible it's impossible right there is no the the, the climate doesn't have as it were the climate system to be more accurate about it it doesn't have the ability to 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 produce these effects for us you know in the in 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 these in this in these in the at that frequency and that intensity right it's 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 a kind of crazy notion um so so it would take a really long time and a really really unfortunate series of events for 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 that to to put that to be the outcome so so when but what that sort of takes us to is people say well then why is it that people say that there is this stuff happening now why why do people think that 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 that, that there are millions of people being sort of um, having their lives turned upside down by climate change and whatever, and it's quite simply ideology. And 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 unfortunately, science, scientists and scientific institutions have not been helpful in confronting ideology, and many of them have, have actually fallen victims to it, and and are now in the business not of doing science but of reproducing this ideology. Um, so it's very difficult to to get. It's kind of to say, look at data. Where it, show me where there are more people being killed as a result of of extreme weather, where we can't explain it through you know economic decline or some such thing. Show me where there are people suffering from more diseases. Show me where people are are, are living shorter and, and less healthy lives. None of none of that is happening. We are living longer, safer, healthier. Um, uh, lives. Every every metric of of human progress um, over this era of climate change has shown radical improvement, and that's something that 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 many people involved in climate change research, not necessarily hard science um, or meteorological sciences, they can't explain. It's it's a paradox to them, um, and 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 they've come up with some. I mean, it's probably. T- too much for this conversation but but they, they've produced some really dodgy science to try and to try and sustain the argument but if you look at the, the statistics at every level of development and every part of the world things are improving improving so so to take this back this is your, your question why why did i have this sort of epiphany if you were if you like why did i change my mind well i can because I, I can point to a number of events but the most the, the most important one i use i discuss this quite often is um about 20 years ago um in a bookshop in oxford where i grew up um and i was living at the time um an activist a, a climate activist called mark linus custard pied uh a researcher a uh, called Professor Bjorn Longborg. And Bjorn Longborg is quite a famous guy, so probably needs no introduction, but he'd just written a book called The Skeptical Environmentalist. And this was an attempt to measure the real state of the planet and its resources and society's relationship with those with, with those processes. So how 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 urgent are the the, the 
the crisis we face. Are we, you know, are we going to run out of anything? Um, and actually, he began his project as an attempt to debunk um, a very optimistic economist called Julian Simon, who said that the environmentalists who'd predicted uh, resource depletion and overpopulation were wrong, and that they were wrong because perceived human society, um, its, its, its abilities, its capacities, and its relationships to the natural world. So um, he famously had a bet, in fact, with uh, uh, another environmentalist called uh, Paul Ehrlich, um, and they, they'd bet on the abundance um, of certain minerals that were used by industry. Um, uh, and of course, Ehrlich said that these prices were going to rise, um, and and uh, Julian Simon had said that they were going to fall um, because, and he said they were going to fall. So Ehrlich said they were going to rise because they were going to become more scarce. Ehrlich says they were going to fall because we were going to be able to produce more of them. So we're going to we we're going to have more resources in the future, not not less. Anyway, to cut a long story short, Julian Simon won that bet, um, and um, uh, Paul. Uh, 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 Bjorn Longberg's project was an attempt to sort of uh, initially sort of explain why and debunk that, but he found himself agreeing with Julian Simon. So he wrote this enormous book, really full of detail, um, setting out the case for being a bit more relaxed about the climate. And then, of course, that led to his arguments that there are better things that we can do with politics and with the money that we, we, need, we use for development and so on. Um, and this made Greens extremely angry. Um, and, this, uh, this is, and this is why Mark Linus is now a researcher at Oxford University. Um, this, is, this is the reward you get for such sort of kind of political activism. Um, uh, and 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 he he so so yeah Linus Linus custard pied Bjorn Longberg, and um, as a green myself at the time, I thought, well, I don't think this is the way debate in public should happen. I don't think that if if we believe in in you know in in uh, in, in in our ideas then what we do is we take people who criticize those ideas and we listen to them and then we respond to them but no 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 one from the green movement in oxford was saying no let's listen, let's hear him out and, let, and let's let's reply and then and then and this this sort of grew this controversy grew and there were sort of scientific institutions in denmark um, and elsewhere that would take enormous liberties with what Bjorn Longberg had said in order seemingly to debunk him. And, and this just, I just thought this was disgraceful. And, and I, and I, so, so I had my eyes open to the really quite nasty and ugly character of environmentalism or maybe perhaps just environmentalists. Um, and the way, the way they, they, have contempt for debate they have contempt for democracy and they and and despite sort of claiming that they had their ideas were grounded in science if they weren't able to mount a robust defense of them in good faith i thought well maybe there isn't much to the scientific argument either and so i i sort of took it apart you know took it upon myself to take those arguments apart and have a look and it turns out you know i i, I didn't think the 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 evidence for catastrophic climate change was as strong and had been claimed. Um, so um, yeah, and there, there are some other events around that sort of that sort of time as well. I've been sort of more interested in, been made more interested in climate change by in the late nineties by 
um, a Martin Durkin's film against nature, and I was kind of outraged that he'd had the audacity to sort of, and Channel Four had had the audacity to to um, broadcast it. So I was, you know, I was quite, I was probably sort of quite an angry green, green myself, um, you know, like a little angry Greta. Um, but but um, you, you know, you, you you can only be that irrational for for so long. I was, I was very young at the time, but the um, uh, the so so. Uh, you, you know, and reflecting on how I'd been an angry young green, and then seeing how um, Bjorn Longborg has had his own transformation, and then seeing how 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 the greens were carrying on. Um, and I remember one occasion there was a couple of greens I knew. I mean, I think I was just having a drink um, out, out near near where I lived, and and um, a couple of them walked past. Um, and they knew me, so they knew me by name, by name. And they and they said they were they were all very full of themselves. And they just custard pied um, Jeremy Clarkson. So so I think there'd been an event at Oxford Brook. So it's like they, you know this is this is how they were all carrying. This is Oxford as well. Like you know this kind of where these these greens think of themselves as the sort of the world's intellectuals. These are. You know they're they're rubbing shoulders with George Monbiot, and then they're you know they're going to the Sheldonian Theatre or whatever to hear the latest uh, professor of of ecological doom give them lectures about how how terrible the future is going to be, um, and then they're all patting themselves on the back about how many how many climate deniers they've thrown custard pies at recently. It's kind of it's kind of kind of a ridiculous. It's kind of an indictment of the city and the university, as well as the as the political movement, if you like. Um, you know, maybe maybe they should do degrees in custard pies and uh, PhDs in custard pies, because because the because the because the stuff they're doing on the, the the green stuff they're doing is absolute crapola. You know, it's 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 not worth the paper it's written on. But they write it on an awful lot of paper. You know, they 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 they're incredibly prolific. Um, so yeah, I've probably gone on at length uh, over, over over length on 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 that little epiphany. No, 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 it's really good. Um, <clears throat> fascinating how yeah, seeing kind of green activists shift your perspective, and then what the reaction was to people who were a bit different from them. Um, and I think anyone who's listening right now or watching could agree with that no matter what side you're on you do agree there is almost like a cult-like philosophy in the green agenda even if you you know support what they say there is a weird kind of this is our religion type thing and anyone who goes against it's satan you know you see that just up oil extinction rebellion you name it um what what do you say to someone who is let's say oxford student he's not for throwing pies in people's faces (laughs) he disagrees with um studied the climate his whole life um or like un panel what whoever it is whatever organization who's looked at the data and says this this is what happened the world's getting hotter like like there's many countries like pakistan place in africa that are seeing drought flood and whatever it is we're gonna have i think the reports are a billion people um within the next 10 years i'm I should, I should have specifics on that, so it's kind of bad bringing it up, who are going to like migrate from where they live because it's become in a, inhabitable. Um, what's your response to those people? Um, because I guess to, to a mainstream person, when you say there's no crisis, a lot of people would have skepticism of that. So for instance, 
Longberg, he does admit there's a climate crisis, but he doesn't think it's quite as serious as people make out. Would you disagree with him on that? Those specific things that I there is, there he, is no crisis. He would, at all. he would say there's climate change, but there's no climate emergency. There's no climate. There, so so we, we, you've got to, we've got to separate these concepts out. There is climate change. There is well, let's be let's let's separate them out even more. There is global warming, and it's very likely that global warming is caused by CO two which we definitely produce uh, when we burn coal, gas or oil. Um, uh, so, so there is the, the I, I would say as a layperson myself, I'm not a climate scientist. I, 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 I kind of believe that there are thermal properties of carbon dioxide such that it's going to behave a certain way when there's more of it in the atmosphere than when there's less. But that's a, that's a question of degree. And the degree between it being warmer and then there being climate change and then there being climate crisis are, are, are more and more removed, right? So the, 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 the controversy, if you like, in climate science or global warming science is how much warming does global warming produce? And and that that that's that's called a feedback. That's a positive feedback. So in the nineteen nineties, what everyone was concerned about was that global warming would cause cause climate change, which would cause more warming. This is called the yeah, it's the runaway greenhouse effect, right? So it's get hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter. And even Stephen Hawking, who before he died, um, he he thought that the the the, the planet Earth could become as hot as Venus. Um, bizarrely for an astronomer or for a theoretical physicist he didn't understand that uh the reason venus is hot and uh in, in compared compared to um this planet is is not because it's closer to the sun well that makes a small difference it's because its atmosphere is so dense it's i think it's a thousand times more dense than our own and of course um, as thing as gases get denser, they they get hotter. So, or they are capable of keeping more more heat. So, CO two doesn't really have much to do with the fact um, uh, that 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 Venus is that much hotter. So, 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 but that that was the kind of fear that existed. Um, so, the, the global warming is going to produce climate change, which is going to produce, and and some of those climate change effects are going to contribute to cooling. So gonna, they're going to act to cool down the planet, and some of them are going to are going to uh, act to warm up the planet, and it's the balance of these feedbacks which is which has created the controversy. Now, actually, just global warming on its own, leaving aside the the balance of positive and negative feedbacks, is not going to produce uh, very much warming at all, or maybe a, maybe a degree. Um, it's not, and this this isn't this isn't going to give us a crisis. All of the problems are are, are generated in the event, you know, in, in the in the imagination, as it were, or in the in the scenarios that that people that some scientists consider. Um, the, all of the problems stem from radical positive global warming feedbacks. So I, you know, I think we can see some evidence of climate change. Um, you mentioned wild, you know, uh, wildfires, and there has been yes, we can see evidence of climate change here. There are fewer wildfires, or at least wildfire claims 
less area each year. That's climate change. Um, we don't see an increase in the frequency and intensity of storms, or certainly not yet. Um, so that doesn't look like climate change. When you say wildfire, like is that the land that they affect in the sense of like how much land they burn, or that's right? Yeah, literally could, footprint of the fire. Yeah, could the argument there be because resource and technology has got better, we now have you know quicker planes or helicopters to sweep in, splash water, or we have like water easy dispensable now, or the pushback to the argument against um uh sorry what was the other thing you said frequency intensity of storms Storms. so is that Um, is that the storm itself or is that the damage it does the the store the the well the damage you can we can calculate separately and that's been done a lot by a researcher called roger pilker jr um so that there's a controversy in climate change economics if you like and um some people say if you tot up all the losses that have been the economic losses measured mostly by insurance claims throughout the world um then then you can see that the numbers the 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 the, the, the amount being claimed each year is going up and up and up and up and up but roger pilker points out this is inflation right you know you've got to you've got to adjust for gdp growth so for example if your house uh gets knocked down it's probably worth half a million quid whereas 20 30 40 years ago it would have been worth a fraction of that so this is reflected in this you know you've got to, you've got to adjust for this this kind of effect um and he says there's no and so the, the that adjustment is called normalization so there's no increase in normalized losses um <clears throat> the energy of storms is is a metric that you can calculate uh by observation, by I think satellites are, are capable of tracking what's called accumulated cyclone energy in the in the atmosphere. So uh, rather than just measuring one storm, it tries to measure all sort of storm identities um, and and produce an index of their power and therefore their frequency and their intensity. Um, and and they find no 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 trend. Dra- uh, but but you're absolutely right to ask. Um, because, for example, um, back in 2004, the big poster child for climate catastrophic climate change was Hurricane Katrina. And Hurricane Katrina took out New Orleans, you know, it's caused devastation. And everyone says, this is climate change, this is climate change. Um, we need to act now to stop things like Katrina happening again. Well, you know, this, this was a problem of a failure to learn from the Dutch. So what, the reason Katrina fail, uh, happened was not because of a magnitude of a meteorological phenomena that was unprecedented. It happened because people failed to maintain the infrastructure that protected New Orleans from uh, the sea. So um, the levees, the dams, the systems that were you know well, well understood quite quite long before were. were um, the failures to to maintain them uh, were, 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 were had been well documented, and alerts had been raised about them. Excuse me. Um, and and similarly, um, in Germany, I think a few years ago, the catastrophic flood. Uh, not 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 long ago, um, I think more than a hundred people lost their lives. 
And again, we're very quick to say, oh my God, this is climate change, this is climate change. But actually then it turned out that, that, that not only was this predictable, it had been predicted and failure was policy. The failure, that there had been a failure on behalf of uh, civil contingencies to, to prepare um, for, for this eventuality. So what, what gets understood as a natural disaster is, is not actually very often natural, na natural, natural. It's it's a uh, it's a it's a policy failure, and and there's a there's a great clip somewhere, and um, I, uh, people were complaining about flooding in London, and there was flooding on a London bridge over the River Thames, right? It was not because the River Thames come up, but it's because no one had considered to put drainage channels on, on this um, on this bridge, and I think they would they'd be created a, cy a cycle path on the bridge that just trapped all the water. So there was this this kind of, um, there was a flood. Yeah, it was just a flood. Everyone was sort of this far underwater. Um, and and uh, so, so uh, we, we've got to work out what is a natural disaster really? And what is what is a policy failure? What, like, it, is it people, is it planners and engineering works that are insufficient that kill people? Or is it really, a storm descending on on where they live and inundating their infrastructure, um, because much more the latter than the former. And you could, I could even make, I think I could even make the argument, um, there is no such thing as a natural disaster. Every natural disaster, certainly in the West, every nat so-called natural disaster is in fact just a policy failure or an engineering failure, and that puts different emphasis on politicians. That puts a different emphasis on civil societies, civil, uh, sorry, civil servants, which I'm sure they'd rather not carry. They'd much rather the idea that, 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 that it's nature sort of in, exacting her revenge on society than admit to, the, to their own faults and that, 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 that it's them that needs to sort of do quite boring things like make, making sure that, that we have the, the, the right civil infrastructure, making sure that it's maintained and, and looked after properly um, um, and, um, and so on and so forth. Wow. Uh, lots, uh, <clears throat> lots to think about there with the reason behind things and why and the what. Um, because I think with climate change, it's such a massive issue. It's like part of people's terrified the fact that like and i'm actually on the fence really with a lot of this stuff in a way i mean i think that the policies for net zero there needs to be a democrat saying that and there's not and there's not a real cost benefit analysis no one knows what it means no one's voted for any of it i think it's completely undemocratic but i'm also i'm on the fence with the actual what i think of climate change because i think it is a problem but the question there is how to deal with it regardless if you think it's a problem or not um and it's it's very difficult so kind of move it on to like the uk and what climate change means for the uk um so we got this net zero agenda we got both parties who are for it labor and conservatives cons and tories are pushing it and they're kind of realizing that it's not that popular you've seen what's happened with ULEs, anti-car policies and stuff um what what does net zero actually mean for the uk like overall what does it mean for the cost of energy for how we're going to live like is it is the 15 minute city a real thing or is it a conspiracy theory what's the truth behind net zero 
in the UK, do you think? And what is the UK going to look like in the future because of net zero? Good question. So I think that nobody knows what net zero is going to look like in tw- when you when you get up in 2050 if you, you could you, do, you know have a look at the what the world looks like or what the uk looks like tomorrow oh sorry 2050 by just you know snapping fingers uh we, we, we can't tell yet because nobody has ever explained to us how it's going to be done back in 2008 when people created the climate change act when politicians created the climate change act they had no idea about how the emissions reduction targets were going to be achieved. But they decided, nonetheless, by 2050, CO2 emissions should be reduced by 80% on 1990 levels. Um, and then in 2019, MPs decided that, that rather than 80%, that, that level should be 100%. But they've, they've never been able to explain how you're going to drive, how you're going to heat your home, how you're going to cook what you're going to eat, and so on and so forth. All of the questions that, all of the things, rather, that are going to be seriously affected by the uh, emissions reduction target target rules. Um, so we have um, had in over the, over since then, so that's been, what, that's been 15 years now, um, we've had em- endless promises that it's possible to simply replace coal and gas certainly in terms of energy uh, electricity generation um with solar panels and wind turbines now, it turns out that's not so easy um as many of us pointed out it wasn't going to be easy it's 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 uh wind power and to a lesser extent solar power is unpredictable um certainly it's not it's it's intermittent right so um you whereas in the past grid generators were kept running um, to be able to meet predicted demand, um, and we're very good at meet, very good at doing that. Um, of course, you can't turn the wind on, right? So there's going to be a, a, a drop, um, and uh, wind wind producers have made all sorts of promises over over the years about how they're going to be able to produce wind turbines more cheaply. Um, so then maybe they could they could have be a surplus of wind power and that could be stored but that hasn't that technology hasn't arrived either i mean you can certainly buy a battery that you can store power in but it's phenomenally expensive and at the grid scale it's only going to work for a few hours for a cost of many 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 billions right so so i think i think people have done tried to do the maths on uh, the, the the arithmetic on how much it would cost to have a battery that could last for the duration of a lull in the wind. And it's many, many trillions. Um, so we don't really have a plan about how we're going to produce power. Meanwhile, the Climate Change Act and Net Zero requires that we phase out natural gas use, which is how we, I think 85% of people heat their homes. Right, and they want to push and instead of using gas, they want us to use power, which, as we know, is becoming more scarce and is becoming less reliable and is becoming more expensive. They want to use heat, so they're saying we've got to replace the gas boilers with heat pumps. But we know that heat pumps can't be produced as e- or installed as cheaply as 
gas combi boilers. So I think whereas a gas combi boiler is going to cost you about two or three thousand pounds to put into your home, um, uh, uh, heat pumps are going to be eight to twelve thousand pounds or more, <clears throat> depending on your home. Um, and it's going to require a level of retrofitting that that um, is is prohibitively expensive. So there were there were I think there was an experiment by Kirklees, a local authority uh, uh, in Nottinghamshire, I believe, uh, or around that the East Midlands somewhere. Um, uh, they, and they 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 did this experiment and retrofitted three three of their local authority um, house, houses, council houses. Um, you know, very modest properties, not 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 big dwellings, and they 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 estimated the costs. Well, they didn't estimate; they showed that the costs were sixty thousand pounds each. So this is this this is pretty much more um, than knocking the houses down and rebuilding them, right? So uh, and that's before even a heat pump was installed. So the 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 the, the government's advice is that. Um, or the advice to the government, and uh, uh, is that that, that it's going to cost a home between in the order of between eighteen and a hundred thousand pounds to to make it net zero compliant, and and rather than going, gosh, this is an awful mess we've got ourselves into, let's roll it back a bit, let's slow the agenda, let's work out how to do it first. And then we'll make a policy to require people to do it when it can be done and aff affordably. Um, rather than doing that, they've just doubled down, um, wow. and they've been able to double down, of course, because there's no opposition to it. There's no, there's no one in Parliament. The Conservatives aren't facing an opposition by saying, uh, which is saying you're all net zero lunatics, because everyone in Parliament is a net zero lunatic. <laughs> now you could argue that it's necessary to do it, right? Which is fine, but, but, but. Uh, it, it's it's got to be practical for people because most for, for most people, if we if we went through this tomorrow without these economic alternatives to coal, oil, and gas, um, everyone's going to say it's going to be very obvious. In fact, that climate change policy is worse for people than climate change itself. Um, so so you 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 know I I think if you if you're talking about Bills of this order, sixty thousand pounds, seventy thousand pounds, hundred thousand pounds for a household, um, and you're talking about the second order economic effects that that's going to have. It's not going to be possible to do business in the UK. You know, if you're running an industry, you can forget it. If you're competing on the global market, um, ordinary businesses, people, people aren't going to have any disposable income because it's all going to have to go on their retrofits and so on and so forth. So they're not going to be spending any money at the pub cinema uh, the coffee shop and what have you um so so you know they're going to be there's going to be this condition of ecological austerity so it's going to make it even harder to, for 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 people to make money to pay for these things um so um so so i i don't think people have really thought thought about the prior the priorities um that ordinary people have and the and the, the lives that they that the, you know what what they what they face in their day-to-day uh, what they fa people face day to day, um, and how this is going to uh, create friction with with policy. So I think the more likely outcome of 2050 than you wake up and you go down to your EV and then you you know are going to jolly drive to your jolly green job, 
I think the far more likely outcome between now and, now and some point in 2050 is a very serious civil conflict and social disorder because there's no precedent in history for such a dramatic reduction in people's wealth um, and lifestyles and, and so on without troops pointing guns and tanks at citizens on streets because it's 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 an ideological utopian dream not something that's worked out you know we all have plans we all have projects how am i going to do this how am i going to do that i don't set myself a target by 2050 i'm going to be a billionaire right yeah you can have that dream if you 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 go oh, i wonder if i could Put this widget with that sprocket and then flog it to people. Yeah, maybe they'll buy that. Or maybe, you know, maybe you'll waste your money. You, you work out what the practicalities of things are before you try and execute execute your targets, you know, to, to, to achieve your targets. So, um, but, but people have forgotten this in policy land. Westminster has become hermetically sealed from the rest of the pub public and completely divorced from ordinary life. Um, and very, very sort of, filled with ideological ambition um and and uh so I, I think this is taking us into a crash course with reality i think there are some other parts to your question as well but um, i may have forgotten them no like i mean kind of covered what i was saying um and it, i mean it is very worrying what what we've actually signed up for and there has been no democratic say like I'm famous mm. in my brother i say to him you know, he, he he kind of says I'm a climate denier. He calls me a climate denier, and I'm very moderate on it. Like even from an objective view, so like I don't know what he's talking about. And I say to him, you know, there's been no democratic say. And he says, well, people voted for it. And the the truth is, they didn't. They had two parties, two parties that most people don't like. They had two options. And how is that a democratic say? I think this is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, policy decision of my lifetime. And nobody has democratic vote in it and if you say that people call you the climate denier it's beyond mm. absurd and i think you really highlighted the cost of like like what is it actually going to take because we're already seeing the implications of ULES. i mean you had two men the other night a counter-terrorism unit was deployed because they tried to blow up a ULES camera i mean people are furious not that i endorse that at all because you know you shouldn't criminal damage but mm like what actually happens when these policies are implemented it's not going to hurt it's not going to hurt like rich people because they're rich it doesn't matter like middle class people you know working people tradesmen that's going to who it's going to affect um and and there is a question about how much it will cost because there's like i know there's been like civitas have like put out a thing and it's been very controversial and there's you know floats of a trillion there's people say it's going to cost 100 billion there's a lot of different kind of costs around that and we could talk about that for a while but I guess what I want to know is the why, and this links into the report that you made, which is the Clean Air Report for Together. Um, so can you give a kind of little, well, I mean, it's quite a big report, so it's quite difficult to do a little, but but a kind of outline of the report. What's it about? What does it mean? And most importantly, the why. Why do these people want to do invest in Imperial College and all these things? And, and what does it mean for the climate landscape in the UK? So we did two reports. That's Climate Debate UK and Together Declaration. 
Um, and the first of those was looking at Sadiq Khan's claims that air pollution causes the premature deaths of 4,000 people in London every year. And I think it's the claim is based on uh, science that says about 36, maybe 40,000 people across the UK die the same each year. Um, and then that just turned out to be not true. Uh, it turned out to be not true. And it, or, 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 I mean, it's in this, people say, follow the science and then we'll say, you know, well, Sadiq Khan's offices, in fact, said we, we, we're science deniers. But in fact, uh, it, the, the science we referred to was produced by a committee that was chaired by Imperial College's Environmental Research Group's chairman. So we're, we're, we're only showing the science that was produced by Imperial <laughs> College's sci own scientists, right? Uh, and, it, and it says you cannot use deaths as a metric of risk uh, uh, of mortality. Uh, Mortality risk is a misleading statistic. Let's put it that sort of that way. So it is, it is, uh, and and the scientists said that it would be misleading the public to imply that there was a causal relationship between exposure to certain air pollution types, uh, uh, PM two point fives and nitrous oxides. Right. So uh, it would, and it would, it would, it would, it would, um, yeah, mis mislead the public, and that would misdirect policy. And they were completely right. And of course, but then of course, this is exactly what Sadiq Khan has done. And he says that these are causal, there's a causal link between um, air pollution exposure and deaths. What we point out in our first report is this is a false, uh, this is completely, I mean, apart from the fact that the science says it's completely false. What you need to do is you need to look at how, what is important to making people's lives longer and healthier. Right. And and it isn't banning cars. Um, and we know that because over the era of motor cars, people's lives have been getting longer by 72 days per person for every year of their life. I mean, that's just a remarkable like this is your life growing in front of you almost like kind of. Um, so, you know, in the 1970s, people were living until they were 70 or so. Now they're living into their 80s. So over the, over the course of half a century, you're getting more than a decade extra life. Um, and that's because people are wealthier. And when people are wealthier, they eat better, they take better care of themselves. They have better, I mean, just, just think, things like self-esteem, like looking after yourself produces um, uh, health, it produces uh, and therefore a longer life. Things like this. I mean, there, there are many complicated ways that, that can happen. Uh, if you can detect within that radical growth air pollution, it is having the effect of reducing that 72 days per year by 64 hours per year, right? So th those are your choices, right? And so, so uh, do, do you try and do you risk the 72 days for the 64 to... To, to gain the 64 hours because this is what what we argue is that when you start to put these restrictions on people's lives when you put restrictions on the economy that's going to have and firstly an economic effect and then that's going to have an um a health effect that's going to reduce people's standard of living and that's going to take away all of the gains that we've seen over the last century um potentially so um, and, and none of this is considered by these 
these researchers, let's say, at places like Imperial, um, they they tend to produce stuff that just supports the policy agenda, um, uh, which they have been very heavily invested in, both as individuals and as an institution. Um, the you know the, the the Imperial College is sort of very and and its scientists are far closer to policy making than than I think they ought to be. And um, so I sort of go on to make the point, you know, what if you're a researcher at Imperial College or a would-be researcher looking for a job at Imperial College, like me, let's say, not that I would, I don't think I would enjoy it very much, but the what if I wanted to go and do that research um, and I could see that they have all these relationships with green organisations, with, with the government and and so on and so forth, and and uh, I wanted to say, well, you've forgotten about the 72 days. You're so obsessed with the 64 hours. You've forgotten about what makes people's lives 72 days longer and 100% wealthier. We need to look at these things. I would be booted out. And and we know that's that's the case because some researchers who did speak out against the research found themselves being censured by uh, the senior scientists at Imperial College at the behest of staff members of Sadiq Khan's offices who also happen to be very involved with, with green campaigning organisations that have funded um, uh, air pollution campaigns entirely and, and Imperial College itself. So, so it's just it's dodgy and it's unscientific and it's deeply ideological um, and it doesn't get enough scrutiny from within universities through from within academia or within politics or within the media so that that's that's where we ended up that's where we sort of left our first report and the second report was a, a bit more of a look at the sleaze basically what are the what are the natures of the relationships between all of these organizations and that that involves looking at philanthropy in the main and its its influence across civil society organizations research organizations and news media so the the top level if you like is not necessarily anything to do with uh, air pollution science necessarily uh, straight if, we, if we're straightforward about it and we look at we look at um how bill gates has been involved with funding the the world health organization which is obviously controversial and topical at the moment for a number of reasons. So it turns out that Bill Gates has given the WHO over the course of the existence of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation something, I think, something in the order of $4.8 billion. Wow. It's an extraordinary amount of money. And, and we show that even as far back as about 20 years ago, researchers were complaining that the dominance of philanthropic his his philanthropic gestures was such that it was interfering with their research agendas. They weren't able to pursue research pathways that they thought were viable that might yield some really good results because it didn't it didn't didn't fit with the with the philanthropists idea about what should be done and since then bill gates's influence has only grown and of course people are now writing books and making films about how this may have had a really really bad effect anyway the point is not to go down that that route too much but to point out that global philanthropy and global political or intergovernmental agencies are far too close to each other 
and and not sufficiently examined well, at least for my liking and i hope that other people who believe in democracy don't like it very much either now if, you know, if he wants to give his money away no strings that's fine so but but what he what that establishes is a pattern a phenomenon if you like uh a political trend that's been happening so then we go we we go down a tier and the, then we look at global climate or environmental politics and we see the same thing happening. We see a number of billionaires emerging. So, yeah, yeah. So Mike, Mike Bloomberg has been made um, special envoy on climate change by uh, UN Secretary General Kofi Annan and then Sir Kofi Annan's successor, Antonio Guterres. Um, and uh, you know, uh, spending billions on getting coal abolished and so on and so forth. But I, I, I thought, well, well, how did he get into global politics? Um, and of course, um, he, you know, he he did stand as a as a president uh, as a presidential candidate um, for the second uh, for the you know the the uh, last U.S. presidential election. But before that, he actually served three terms as U.S. Uh, as as New York mayor. And that turns out, in his third term as New York mayor, for the election for his uh, third term, he outspent his election rival eleven times to one. So um, and, uh, the, it turns out that each vote that he won in that election cost him, I think, $186. So this is this, this enormous amount of money that he wasted, essentially just, but well, one, probably not wasted from his point of view. Um, but, 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 you know, this is, this is more than, than all of the UK political parties would have spent on a, on a general election here. He was spending just on the mayorship of New York City, so just this 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 enormous amount of money. I think 110 million dollars um, in in around two around 2010, um, and and then from his position as mayor of New York, he was able to sort of bring get himself involved with the United Nations and to begin to what his his main sort of contribution to climate change politics has been well it's been twofold one is to sort of has been instrumental in developing esg and the other one is to sort of create a more local focus for the climate change agenda um so this is like um he's he's, he's put a lot of money into organizations that would that are, that are sort of trying to get local authorities to sign up to net zero sooner and faster and uh, harder than you know that that famous triptych from you know that was the the extent of opposition in uh, during covid um faster so getting to net zero faster than the government's plans are right so the national the national target for getting to net zero is 2050 um all these organizations now exist funded by the likes of mike bloomberg and others um to try and get to try and get that to happen sooner so places like oxford which is the fifth the the location of the 15 minute city contra controversy um they want to be they want to get to net zero before the whole the country uh, as a whole um so uh and what does that mean well I, I, that means abolishing cars um, that means sort of tr making it difficult for, I mean, in, certainly in, in council properties, for example, council facilities, you can no longer buy meat uh, for lunch. 
Um, and, you know, so, so councils are essentially getting a bit ahead of themselves that have, you know, councils that have decided to take net zero on as a, as a concern um, are getting a bit ahead, of, exceeding their authority. Um, uh, but, they're, but again, they, they, they're very similar to national politics. They don't have any sort of serious opposition in many cases. Um, and so, they, so there's nothing really sort of, nothing really stopping them doing that. And of course, COVID, um, the lockdowns and, 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 and the chaos of, of that allowed them to sort of ramp these agendas up, you know, quite, quite significantly. Um, so this takes us to a third tier, which is air pollution. So at the top, we've got Bill Gates and talking more generally about the relationship between philanthropy and intergovernmental agencies. Then we've got climate politics. And the and then the likes of uh, Bill Gates uh, of 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 uh, uh, Mike Bloomberg essentially trying to replicate what what Bill Gates has done, but in in climate. And then we've got this third tier, which is very much focused on on local and regional government. Um, and and this is where we get the likes of Sadiq Khan. And um, uh, uh, so. Air pollution scare stories, it seems to me, and the research that I've done, uh, are, are sort of intended to market climate change in a slightly different way to people. So you, you can't tell local people in a local area, we're banning your cars because of climate change. We can, but it's going to be much more difficult. The way it's being sold to populations or is by telling them it's protecting them from air pollution. So we're not. It's not about CO two emissions. It's about the the the, the NO two and the PM two point five. Oh look, there's all these cars going past your little children's school. They're going to grow up with stunted lungs, and they're probably going to die because of this stuff. Even though they're going to they're going to live twenty or thirty years longer than their their grandparents. You know, never mind that. They're so 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 um, so it's a very cynical reformulation of climate politics. It's, air pollution scares are a proxy battle of climate politics, and that's what that's what we try. And we so we 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 show like we'll, as as briefly as we can, but it's, it is quite a substantial report. Um, we 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 show these different forms of politics, and we show the development of. Uh, Mike Bloomberg and other green billionaires, um, and it turns out there is no, there are, there aren't really many autonomous. Uh, I mean, grassroots, you would say, uh, green organisations of any consequence at all. Yet you, there, there are many dozens of green organisations, green NGOs, um, and similarly, there aren't many autonomous. Uh, organizations grassroots organizations that aren't just the constructions of green billionaires right you know they're just they're off the shelf going concerns they just go to the ngo shop and they buy an ngo they create it they and they've got these um you know, these, these strategic funders of these organizations they think in these terms is well if you if you need an organization to represent the particular interest or particular part of um, a story that, 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 that needs to be told, then the, the, there is a network of people who are available to as resources 
to that new organization that could just take those stories and put them straight to on 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 um on the news they can put them in front of politicians um and then and they can and they can take them to global conferences because they they're spending billions of pounds on developing that infrastructure they even on gb news i mean there's a guy there's a there was an outfit a ridiculous outfit um, I saw being wheeled out on GB News every day. And the, the organization is barely six months old, yet it, it, it hasn't done anything. Yet it is being pushed because of the relationships between um, uh, news producers and, and civil society organizations that that was able to happen just like that. And, and, and similarly, you know, with the, with the, with the BBC. So, so um yeah, and we, and we and we looked at um, the relationship between these philanthropic foundations and media organisations as well. So you know, it turns out Bill Gates has has bunged more than fifty million dollars towards the BBC, more than twelve million to the Guardian. No one really talks about that in the same in 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 the, certainly in the ways that they would be talking about it if it was if it was oil companies throwing fifty million pounds at the BBC. You would never hear the end of it. Right, it would be this is a, this is a scandal. Um, yet, when green organisations, when green-minded organisations do it, it's regarded as as a good thing, not just not you know not just something that needs to be sort of um, talked about. It's just like kind of it's it's uh, yeah it's 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 a very unequal, um, asymmetric, you would say, um, debate. Wow. I mean, yeah, I mean, is <clears throat> like is a fascinating report because it sums up the centralization of a lot of things of why people think certain things. Like, why is it that certain places have certain agendas? You c now, people who would be green would say it happens to coincide that Philip, I can't even say it. <laughs> Philanthropy. Philanthropy. <laughs> Too terrible at English. Dyslexic. <laughs> um, they coincide with green agendas and they happen to give money. But then you wouldn't do the same thing if it was an oil company and you'd say, oh, they happen to mm. coincide. It, it, like There wouldn't be the same principles aligned to it. And that, that is a very good point about kind of the principles of transparency with donations and how companies and stuff not companies like non-profits whoever gather money because it's a massive thing um and we could talk about i think climate change and like net zero the report and like a lot more um but it's, it's already been an hour and i, I tried to keep an hour but it's been an absolute pleasure um and i've really understood what you mean when you say climate skepticism um and there are some things i would say i disagree with right now um, and I'm sure there'll be some people who disagree with some of the things you said, but I think overall, in the freedom movement anyway, we can all agree that there needs to be a democratic say in these policies, like net zero, nobody has voted for it, nobody has voted for 15-minute cities, all these impositions, um, ULEs, LTNs, you name it, um, I think we can all agree on that, um, and do you have any last words for anyone who's still on the fence or thinks what you're saying is complete nonsense <laughs> what would you say to that person oh well you're, you're allowed to think it's nonsense um it's how it's how we express our views that counts it's not it's 
It's not whether we give our assent or dissent, you know, whether we assent to or dissent from a, a view or an argument or whatever is, 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 uh, that's, that's how the world works. That's how it should work. Right. You, you know, I, uh, but, but I'd be, what I would say to people who disagree is make sure you've understood what the, what was actually stated. Cause I get, I get this a lot and, um, and I'm very practiced at dealing with it. And someone says you're, you know, some someone will often very angry people will will tell me that I'm a climate change denier, and then when I challenge them to show me what I have denied, and where the unimpeachable truth is, and and you know how I've transgressed this, and how we, you know, how how do we know something is undeniable, and where have I denied it? They've been they're unable to explain it, so they and and they'll. They will bluster. They will. They will say, "Well, you you did this, that, and the other. You know, you you were you were involved with these people. You you wrote for Spiked. That's not an answer. That's not that's not climate change denial. So you need to be very particular. We need to like if you if if people want to change the world and they want to change everyone else's life, they want to make it compulsory for everyone else to change their lives and to not have the say." and not have the right to say no i don't want to live in this green utopia i want to live in the way that we we're used to living um they must have they've got to have a bloody good argument for that they've got to have you know they've got to be a it's not me that needs to defend that argument it's them that needs to make the case for this radical uh dramatic change to the way we live so, so yeah, be careful about what you argue. That's what I'd say to these people. Um, be, be very, be forensic. Wow, great, be, great, rebuttal. Be... great rebuttal. Great rebuttal. I think that's so true of everything when people get called racist, sexist, wherever it is, yeah. specifics are pinnacle. If you're going to chuck something at someone, you've got to have specifics to saying that. And I think it's a brilliant point. Um, but it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on and your time. Thanks, Where... Where can people catch you if they want to find out more? Um, they can catch me day to day on Twitter at Climate Resistance, C-L-I-M, number eight, Resistance. Um, and I have a website, which I would like people to have a look at. It's got an overview of the climate debate as we see it. And that's climatedebate.co.uk. Um, and from there, you'll find links to our videos um, and other materials. We're also, we just started a substack, which is netzeroscandal.substack.com, but that's for subscribers who want to help us out. So that, you know, chuck us a, the price of a cup of coffee every month to help us keep going. It's quite expensive producing videos and so on and so forth. Um, <clears throat> and we're not billionaire backed, unlike The Guardian or other organizations. Um, uh, yeah, so that's, that's, that's probably all of my coordinates that I can remember off the top of my head. Great. Definitely. Yeah, definitely check that out. Definitely have a look, go to the website, link in description, um, wherever you're listening, definitely check that out. Um, and you can catch me on at reg podcast on Instagram and at Rory podcast on Twitter. Um, and if you did enjoy this episode, make sure to give it the five stars. If you did enjoy it, if you hate it, slap it with a zero. Um, and also give it give it that rating on Apple because we still haven't got a single Apple rating. But if you're listening and the kindness of your heart, chuck an Apple rating would be much appreciated. 
but it's been an absolute pleasure and I will see you all next week Thursday at 6 o'clock it's a bye from me oh do I say goodbye now <laughs> yeah. sorry yeah oh bye bye <laughs>